Welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show, a roughly one-hour, unscripted, interactive, conversational Bible study between a group of friends, but also genuine misfits who've all been transformed by God's amazing grace. My name is Zach Adams. I am a Christ follower, husband of one, father of three. I am incredibly blessed to be the pastor of Calvary 316, which is located just outside of Athens, Georgia. Church is Again, Calvary 316. If you'd like to learn more about the church, you can visit our website, calvary316.com. Tonight, uh, as with most nights, I know last week we had a bit of a different episode having Edward Amaya from Far Reaching Ministries in studio talk about missions. Very cool episode. If you, if you haven't watched it or listened to it, please go into the archive and find it. A very cool, very, very cool conversation. Uh, but tonight, kind of back to normal, I'm joined in studio uh, by my brothers, Nicholas Monty, and uh, the newlywed Mr. Deal Daddy Derek. Derek What's Kennedy, up? guys, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Up now. <laughs> you are all ringed <laughs> up, man. Congratulations. Thanks, man. It was a blast. It was awesome. We couldn't ask for a better day, and just super blessed. Kelly's a huge blessing, too. So, so I had thankful. the honor of officiating the wedding, which is always a treat, and, um, and Jessica had the honor of being a bridesmaid, and uh, it really was. It was a great wedding, and uh, you got yourself through the vows. Without crying, yeah. I, I will say at one point I wanted to stop the wedding and lean over and tell Nick to get control of himself, because from about the very the, the very beginning, Nick wept like a baby. <laughs> See, I didn't he even know. Weeping. He was weeping. No, it was just shedding tears. I wanted to. Tur- <laughs> I, it was just. It was crying on my. It was raining on my face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not, not crying. crying. Yeah. It's just raining on my face. Anyway, uh, I wanted to turn to your wife, Nick, and be like, "Can you go cuddle him or something?" <laughs> well, that would have made I, it worse. I heard but, Carrie at one point go like, "Oh, weak sauce," but I thought she was crying. But I couldn't look at her. I was just looking at <laughs> Kelly at that point. And then when Larry was talking to me, I was just trying to hold it together. <laughs> like not, but I didn't know you were crying at all. No, no, Carrie. Carrie's tears were were embarrassment because her <laughs> husband couldn't keep himself together. Is what it was. So, That's all right. Uh, yeah, Nick, you're just a sensitive guy. We, hey, we, I'm super all, caring, super loving, super loving, super caring, so tender. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, guys, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Glad you you're back, back to normal. Um, also joined in studio by the man that needs no introduction, the maestro behind the madness, the producer of this dysfunction, my partner in crime, Mr. Creighton Vaughn. Creighton, welcome to the Outlaw Radio Show. Hello. I am also a Christ follower, follower uh, husband of none, father of less. <laughs> father of <Yeah>. less. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like so does that mean two or one? No, no. Less, less than three. Less than three. Yeah. Oh, I see what you did there. That was no, great. Okay. Uh, okay. So, you so the juxtaposition there you was, gotta think I mean, that. I'm a husband of none. I'm a father of less than none. Mm. Than was none. The, yeah. I don't think you can the, have less than none. I don't yeah. think that that's a mathematical thing. Okay. There's this thing called negative numbers. That, that's theoretical. They're imaginary. Eh. No, imaginary is different. Anyway, you were, uh, you were here in studio last week, obviously, with uh, Edward and the guys, him and Sean from Far Reaching Ministries. Before we... Before we get to today's subject matter, um, just having a week to kind of process, and then again, he spoke at the church uh, this past Sunday, so I should mention if you're watching or if you're listening on the podcast, uh, go to calvary316.com, and we have the video from Sunday service, uh, and Edward uh, speaks more specifically and and at greater length about some of the things we touched on, uh, which was really powerful, but any kind of like, uh, you know, 
as you've processed it for a week, any any thoughts, anything else that kind of sticks out at you uh, before we turn the page on it all? Um, I mean, I would reiterate that the kind of stuff they see, the kind of stuff they do is just radical. And I can't imagine being that guy because I wasn't wired that way. <laughs> and I'm deeply, deeply happy that God made people like that. Yes. Because if he was sending people like that, like me, uh, we would need a lot more dispensation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would be. Uh, we, but again, that's one of the things that you really spoke about at church on Sunday was just, you know, that we are the body of Christ in that, that we all have different callings and different functions and different giftings, different abilities. And, and yet we're, we're all, we all function as one, and they serve a very unique uh, a unique, they're a unique part of the body of Christ. And again, as someone I, and I, I relate to that, I, um, I don't like to travel. I'm a homebody. Um, I'm not adventuresome in that, in that context. Um, I don't like flying. I don't like staying in places. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not very good at English, yet alone other foreign languages. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's, I've never had that particular call, never felt very gifted for it. Uh, but to be able to support and be behind and know that there are people in the body of Christ, uh, you know, people like Wes that like, like I was like wired to be a killer and, and now I'm, I'm, you know, the, 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 the other edge of that sword is I'm wired to go into places uh, where killing is happening and, and save people gospel salvation. Very cool. I, I was, again, uh, my sister actually today uh, sent me a text message and said that she went back and she listened to it and thought it was really good. And um, awesome. Yeah, which was, which was neat. So, Well, if you are new to the Outlaw Radio Show, uh, let me explain just very quickly how the show works. So first, the show is completely unscripted. Now, there are unique times like last week where we have a guest on or we do an interview. Uh, but the majority of the time, this is a completely unscripted show, meaning that I have no idea. Yes, we're going to have a Bible study, but I have no idea uh, what we're going to be discussing specifically uh, any more than you do. The listening audience. The only person, Derek doesn't know, uh, Nick has no idea. The only person that knows what we're talking about tonight is Creighton, and he'll introduce the topic uh, in just a few few moments, and then we'll, we're going to have a whole Bible study on it, which will, be, which will be fun. So it's always exciting. Every week there's something new. Uh, secondly, the show is created, just the way that we do it with it being live streamed, uh, is it's designed to be interactive. So if you're watching... Um, whether it's YouTube or Facebook, facebook.com slash the radio outlaw or outlawradio.live for the YouTube channel. Um, underneath the video, there's a comment section, and Creighton, as the producer, is monitoring that. So if you have a, a thought, feedback, question, something you want to interject, you can do so in the comment section, and then Creighton will kind of relay it onto the show. I, I will add that if you're listening on the podcast, that's uh, why we encourage you to check out the live stream Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. Uh, because uh, you can interact uh, in real time, which is, I think, a very cool part of the show. Uh, lastly, this is to be a conversation, which is why Nick and Derek and Creighton are also here uh, in the studio. Uh, yes, I'll take the lead, kind of set the tone, uh, but these guys are free to interject their thoughts and opinions um, as the Lord leads, as the Spirit moves. And uh, again, <clears throat> unscripted, interactive, conversational. Um, with all that kind of out of the way, uh, Creighton, I'm, I'm going to get to you in a second, um, but just kind of on a personal note, um, I've got to share a thought, a thought that I've had, and so you got to bear with me. 
Um, on Monday, uh, Jessica and I had to put, do- put down um, our dog, Kaya, of 14 years. Um, the greatest dog uh, a man could ever have asked for. Uh, she was uh, sweet, laid back, caring. Uh, we took the kids with us. Uh, again, Sharpays lived somewhere between 8 and 11 years. We had her for 14. Uh, and God was gracious and good to us in that regard. And, and, and yet the time had come. She went downhill within two weeks pretty quickly. And, uh, and so it was time. It was, it, was, it was the right moment. And the kids, they came with us, uh, Quincy, Theodore, and Mabel. And we were there with her. Uh, we loved on her. She knew she was loved. And then she fell asleep. And, and I, I, I was texting uh, my father um, about the experience. And I said, I said, Kaya taught my kids more about death uh, than any sermon I could ever have, have given. Um, and it was, it was really a, uh, uh, it's been a hard week. <laughs> been a really hard week. Um, for those of you that have lost uh, animals, um, you understand that, that feeling and that pain. Um, it's just a weird thing. Like I came home today. Uh, and Jessica was not here. The kids were at school. And, and every time I come home, this for the first time in 14 years, I opened the door and no one was here. It was just a really surreal. And um, if I talk any more about it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cry. But as I've been processing all of this, I was really thinking about doing a Bible study on Sunday, uh, taking a break from, from our travels in the Gospel of Matthew, and, and doing a Bible study completely dedicated to this. And I, and I would have if I thought I could have gotten through it. Um, and I don't think I can, so I'm not. Uh, but I've been processing, you know, this, just this whole thing, and and animals, and um, and specifically domesticated animals, and uh, and you know, it's it, the thought really hit me. You know, like God didn't design death. Uh, death is a byproduct of sin. It's a byproduct of the fall. Uh, man introduced death uh, to the system. Uh, it's our fault that death is here, and and that that we. I have to navigate these things when human dies, when humans die, but also when animals die. Um, as a result of the fall, in, in addition to death being introduced into kind of our ecosystem, um, everything got really screwed up regarding the way that humans interact with animals. Um, if you go back to the Genesis account, um, you know God created, uh, created land animals, created the man, and then and then God charged Adam. He gave him dominion um, over all of creation, but specifically the animal kingdom. To the point that it was Adam charged with the, the job of actually naming the animals. And naming was a very significant thing in Hebrew culture um, because it signified authority, dominion. God named Adam, but then it was Adam's job to name the animals. Um, very beautiful picture. And before the fall, um, man and animals lived in harmony. Um, there was something very beautiful that was, that was lost in the way that everything works you know you had god you had man you had creation and when god uh, when man rebelled against god god allowed creation to rebel against man and and that's that explains what we see um, and then if you if you're unpacking just the, the full interaction you know every everybody animals people we were all herbivores uh, vegetarians so to speak until after the flood and then it was after the flood that god told noah and his family to eat meat and then we're told he put the, the fear of man in, into the heart of, of animals so that it was a fair fight, you know. I, I bring this up because, um, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know if, if I can say theologically that Kaya, my dog, is in heaven, that, you know, all dogs go to heaven. Um, 
I'd like to think so. I can't, I can't say it one way or the other theologically. Um, but what I can say is, is, while I don't know if Kaya is in heaven, I do know that Kaya brought heaven to us. And, and let, me, let me explain that for, for a second. So you have this whole, this whole thing, this whole weird interaction, this whole weird dynamic between humanity and the animal kingdom. Um, yeah, we're on the top of the food chain, but there are animals that will eat us. Um, and animals are designed to have a fear, a trepidation of, of, of humanity. But you have this weird thing of domesticated animals. And I'm just going to speak specifically to dogs and cats because those are the two primary uh, animals. But, but there, are, there are animals that for some reason um, skirt the, the, the natural results of sin and, and instead are companions to humanity. Um, and I think anyone, that, anyone that's had a pet, um, like you're, you're getting a taste, I think, of how it should have been, how it was, how it should have been, and how it will be, because we're told in, in, in heaven, in, in the millennial kingdom, which will be on earth, like, like all of that animosity, all of that tension, all of that stuff between uh, animal species, but also man and animal will all change. We're told that uh, that the, 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 the lamb and the lion will lie down together, that the child will be able to play with the cobra. Like, everything changes. Like, there's, there's no fear, there's no hurt. Like, every animal is domesticated and has the ability to be domesticated. So, so that's how it was before sin. That's how it will be after Jesus restores it all. So I just think that, like, when, when you have a dog that you love and that loves you and that lives life with you, you're getting, like, God is, in his grace, is giving you, like, a little taste of what the earth was like, will be like, and should be like apart from sin. And so, again, I don't know if my dog is in heaven. I'd like to think she is. Um, but I do know that my dog brought heaven to my family. And for that, I'm, I'm grateful, not just to Kaya, but I'm, I'm grateful to the Lord uh, for giving me that opportunity. And so, uh, again, if you have a pet, um, think of it that way. That, that like The very fact that you can have that interaction is God's grace because it actually goes so against like how it is in sin. So anyway, uh, Creighton, that was kind of my thought guys. If you want to throw in anything, uh, give me a, a second to just kind of compose myself, but just, just the thought that I had, um, as I've been processing it all, um, any feedback, anything on that? Yeah, no, I think that will be pretty cool. Like, I mean, because that's how God originally intended for it, for man to be the keeper of the garden and over the animals. So in heaven, if that's what's going to look like, that's it's a pretty cool thing to think about, like being able to go, there's a tiger. We think about tigers now, like that's going to, it, it'll maul you or a bear, <laughs> like like a, a polar bear or something, being able to just walk up and like pet it or something. You know, that, that'd be kind of cool. The thought of it is cool. But isn't it cool to think that like, that like your pet, like that there are domesticated animals. Yeah. Um, and that, and I really do think, you know, they, they become part of your family and I think God kind of does that. And that's, that's a, that's just a demonstration of his grace. Like there's something, there's some weird connection that, that, that go, takes you all the way back to the garden, you know, of, of how it, of how it should be. Yeah. Um, Nick, you know, any, any thoughts at all on that or no, or I we... just, I can see that clearly through my wife and her cat. Right. I mean, 
She'll put that cat above me sometimes. <laughs> sometimes? <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> um, Creighton, you got anything on that? I thought it was an interesting thought just as I'm, again, processing it all. Yeah, you almost convinced me to get a dog. <laughs> but <laughs> almost. Though I will agree with you that it is a heavenly bond is definitely too strong. Um, but it's something close. Like, it's very cool. It's how it's I first taste, learned it's about a taste death. It's heaven, I yeah. think. And it's how I first learned about death. It's because I had a dog growing up with a couple. And it was, you know, it's a death. And it's rough. It is. <laughs> Sorry. Because it's a dog, rough. Oh, my god! Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. The dysfunction. Already? The producer of this dysfunction. Okay. I, I, I got, you know, we're, we're eight, eight minutes or so into this. And, uh, and I just, again, uh, if you're watching, um, uh, much grace on, on letting me kind of uh, get a few things off my chest. If you're listening on the podcast, um, again, uh, if you got an animal, love on them tonight and think of the Adamses and send, us, send a prayer our way. That being said... So, Creighton, uh, we have no idea what's, what we're talking about today, uh, so I'm throwing it your direction, bud. What is the topic for tonight's episode? Okay, so one of my favorite things in the Bible are, A, obscure stories, usually from the Old Testament that people just read through and don't think a second time about, um, and times in the Bible where the writer will put something down, not explain anything, and move right along. Okay, that's that's you know for an unscripted show, that's a uh, a, a wonderful lead in to like, oh my goodness gracious, what are we talking about? So, <laughs> yes, here we go, here we go. So right after Elijah gets raptured into heaven, or fiery chariot, fiery chariot into heaven, up to heaven. Okay, um, Elisha, because they have nearly the identical names, his apprentice is walking and gets accosted by some youths, youths. Um, he curses them. God sends two she bears to deal with it. They do. And then it just moves along. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're, we're on an animal theme tonight. Yes. <laughs> okay. And so the reason that I find this story interesting, okay, where's this? It's what first Kings, second Kings, second Kings chapter two. Okay. Uh, I believe it starts in verse 23. Okay. As you keep talking, let me go okay. ahead and kind of, you know, we're rolling here, so I got to get the text. So continue with yes. your question, your thought. I'm going to find okay. the story. So the reason that I find this one interesting, one of the reasons, is because it's the kind of story that people in my own life who are non-Christians have thrown at me to be like, oh, you believe in a loving God? What about that time that he sent two bears to eat a bunch of kids? And it's like, what are you talking? Because if you've never heard the story which I'm guessing a lot of Christians haven't because it's like five verses. And at first it's in the old Testament. So like in today's culture, like the old Testament. Right. And it's not Genesis Psalms or Proverbs. Right. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, it's, it is, you know, Kings. What are we looking at that for? So, so you really like, do you have a question or do you just want the story explained? Like what, what where, where do you want to see this go? Cause it's my job to take it someplace. Right. So, uh, my question is, why and what? Um, what's going on? Why would God send two she-bears to attack a bunch of children? Um, and I'm kind of playing devil advocate, devil's advocate here, 
But the question is why? Why does he? Because it seems like, like if you just read through it, they call him bald head, and then they get mauled to death by bears. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> so the question is why? Because I've had that question asked to me, like. You believe in a loving God, and he did this. Hey, he's just. If so, I got called bald too, I'd be praying for some she bears. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's do this. As always, you know, and you kind of set the you set the context. You know, hey, we have um, what is it? It ends up being um, one, two. There's literally this story is in three verses. Yeah. Yes. So it's three verses at the very end of the second chapter of Second Kings. So. Again, um, you know, probably not a text you're getting in like your your daily devotional uh, journal. Um, you know, <laughs> you know, like like these verses and like Judas went and hung himself are not like <laughs> high on the morning devotional bucket list, sort of speak. So you're not going to listen to this and uh, Jesus through the movies, right? <laughs> Which might might be a good movie scene. Oh. Um, but so again, my point is like when you do run across like kind of an obscure. Um, occurrence um, by a prominent character. I mean, Elisha served for like 70 years, was the protege, the replacement of Elijah, um, was a significant individual. So this is not an obscure character, uh, but it is an obscure story kind of just tucked in there. And then you're not given a whole lot of information uh, why this happened, etc. So anytime you run across that type of thing, it's always important to start and I would always do this, like if, especially if like a skeptic or a critic, you know, throws something like this in your face. Um, you, you got to put it in the context of what's happening, of of just the scene, generally speaking. Now, um, you have already kind of gave a little bit of lead in into kind of what what was going on with Elijah. Um, we should probably go back into the beginning part of the chapter and talk a little bit about about how how all of that plays itself out because I think it's very relevant. Uh, to what happens in this particular story, um, especially with some of the phraseology of like, uh, go up, you bald head, and then where he's at, uh, Bethel, uh, when, when this is happening. And then even some of the semantics about the way it's translated, I think it will also be helpful. Um, larger picture, just, you know, we are, we are in the kings, the kingly period um, of Israel's history. Um, we are in a, a period of time where, you, you know, You've had Saul, you've had David, uh, David's son Solomon builds the temple, the worship of God, uh, you know, 40 years of, of kind of like Israel's glory days, like the zenith of their world power, their prominence, uh, peace, prosperity, stability, um, Solomon's reign, great. Solomon exits the scene, Rehoboam takes over, um, and, and he makes a bunch of really stupid decisions that lead to, subsequently, a division of within the kingdom itself. So prior to Rehoboam, the, you had Israel. And Israel was all 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. What ends up happening is that because of the taxation and, uh, of Rehoboam and just terrible choices he was making from a leadership standpoint, you had a division of the kingdom. So you ended up with uh, Judah and Benjamin and the south. So they were known as the kingdom of Judah, uh, which Jerusalem was the capital and was still the center of worship. But then you had uh, the northern kingdom um, that splintered off, uh, the ten tribes in the north, uh, under the leadership of Jeroboam. Um, interesting story in and of itself, but what ends up happening is Jeroboam, you know, there's, there's a schism 
Jerusalem is the place of worship. It's in Judea, um, Judah, the kingdom of Judah. So Jeroboam's worried about, you know, his citizens, you know, having to come into now uh, a foreign adversary, even though they're their brethren, to worship God because they had to worship God at the temple. And so thinking, well, let's make this easier for people to worship God. Jeroboam gets this good idea of like, instead of it being the temple, as God had always kind of mandated, uh, I'm going to create some high places uh, where people can come and make sacrifices to Jehovah. Um, there were two in particular. In the north, the very northern part, uh, you had Dan. Um, again, you had the tribe of Dan. You had an area known as Dan. There was a high place there. And then you had Bethel towards the south, close to kind of the, the, uh, the southern territorial divide. Um, you had Bethel, also a high place. All originally intending to be locations where people could come and, and offer their sacrifices to God, but very quickly, as you can imagine, because this is not God's blueprint, not his design, uh, end up being uh, gateways for idolatry within the northern tribes. Um, the, quickly, these high places became synonymous with uh, the worship of Baal, uh, B-A-A-L, that's how you pronounce his name, Baal. Um, you had the famous story, subsequently, of Elijah and the cook-off, you know, with the, the prophets of Baal, where they're, you know, whose God is real? Well, let's have a cook-off. You build an altar. Elijah, you know, says to the prophets of Baal, you build an altar to your God. I'll build one to my God. And, and we'll pray and see, see which God's real because fire will come down from heaven and devour the, the, the altar. And it's a famous story where, you know, for all day, these prophets of Baal are running around cutting themselves, self-mutilation, um, trying to get Baal to ignite, you know, you know, ignite their offering to accept it. Nothing happens, and then and then it's it's Elijah's turn, and he's like, he ups the game. He digs a trough around the altar. He dumps a bunch of water on it, like like you guys are silly, and uh, and then he prays, and fire doesn't just come down from heaven and and devour, you know, his offering, but also devours like the four hundred prophets of Baal because they were wicked and they were perverse and they were doing things that were. Um, antithetical uh, to the, not just the purposes of God, but we're leading God's people astray into not just idolatry, but very grotesque practices. The worship of Molech um, was perverse, child sacrifices, um, really, really grotesque uh, things that were happening within the people of God because they were not obeying God's word. Anyway, so this is Elijah. Elisha comes right on the foot, foot, you know, the footsteps. Um, Elisha comes on the footsteps of Elijah. And so, I'm just going to start at the beginning of the chapter and we'll kind of go through this and we'll go through this quickly so that we can get to the story because again, context is important because where is Elisha when this happens, when the bears come out, when he's being mocked, he's in Bethel. So he's gone into peg, like, well, it's, it's Jewish, but it's Jewish paganism, godlessness, idolatry, wickedness, immorality. He's in Bethel, the, the location of this, when this happens. So that's a context. But you also have to understand what's happening in the life of Elisha as well. So verse 1 of chapter 2, it came to pass that when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha to Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from, from over you today? 
And he said, yes, I know, keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho. So this is in the southern kingdom. So these are the good prophets. You had the prophets in Bethel that were not the good prophets, taunting Elisha. And now they go to Jericho. And Jericho was kind of on the, it was on the path. So you're leaving the Jordan Valley. You're making your way up through the Judean wilderness on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, Jericho, um, a famous town where Jesus healed uh, blind Bartimaeus. uh, there on the road through Jericho. So they're in Jericho. Elijah says, uh, stay here, please. The Lord sent me on to the Jordan. He said, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went, went on. Verse 7, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Now Elijah took his mantle, so that's his, his cloak, his coat. He rolled it up, he struck the water. So the waters of the Jordan River. And it was divided this way and that, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. So there's this miracle, the parting of the Jordan River, which we'll get into because that's happened before. Like there's something significant happening here. I think that also will point to Jesus because where's, where does Jesus begin his ministry? Being baptized where? In the Jordan River. In the Jordan River. And so it was that when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me, which, which is, which is like such a cool, uh, a cool request. You know, Elisha realizes that a, a transition's about to about to occur. His mentor, the greatest prophet of Israel, is about to exit the scene. He doesn't exactly know how all that's going to happen, uh, but he knows that it's now going to be on his shoulders uh, to take over this prophetic duty, this prophetic role within God's people. And so Elijah's like, "Hey, I'm about to leave. You you want anything?" It kind of reminds me of like when. Uh, when Solomon, you know, takes the throne and God comes to him and says, hey, you got a big job. You're taking over for David. You know, what, uh, what do you want? And, and Solomon asks for wisdom. And because he asks for wisdom, God gives him everything he didn't ask for. You know, riches, power, fame, intelligence, etc. Elijah, realizing Elisha is about to carry the mantle, the cloak, it's like, hey, what do you want? He's like, I want a double portion of your power, of your spirit, you know. Wonderful request. He, he's got his right priorities. Like, I know that this is a monumental task, and I'm going to need, I mean, double the power of the Holy Spirit. So let, let, me, let me have a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So, verse 10, and again, if you're just, you're just listening, we're in 2 Kings 2, verse 10. And so he said, you have asked a, a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be, uh, it shall be for you. But if not, it shall not be for you. So Elijah's like, hey, uh, what you're asking, uh, I can't really do. Can't really give it. It's a big thing. Uh, however, if you actually see how I go, then you'll know you have it. And if you, if you don't see it, then you know you didn't. So again, you know, how would Elisha receive the Holy Spirit ultimately? It would be through faith. You know, he would have to, he'd, have to, he'd have to believe that he had received it. It wouldn't be like some tingling experience some euphoric moment, in much the same way that we, we receive the Holy Spirit. It's, it, we receive it by faith. Well, it happened, verse 11, that as they continued on and talked, I wonder what they talked about, you know? Yeah. And one of those, like, the comma, like, w- 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 you could have given us more. 
that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire. You often focus on the chariot of fire. You know, there's been movies, chariots of fire. I want to know what the horses of fire looked like. I like, bet they were awesome. Yeah, pretty that'd awesome. probably be really cool. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so they appeared, horses of fire. They separated the two of them. So it kind of like whooshes between them. So it separates them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it. So that's a good thing. And he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also struck the water, it divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. And so, you know, there's a bit of a, of a test happening here, you know. Elisha sees Elijah taken into heaven. He's dealing with the loss. I mean, this has been his mentor. Um, the cloak falls. And now, uh, you know, Elisha's like, well, you know, if, if, I have, if I have a double portion, then at least, at a minimum, I can cross the, the Jordan River. And so he strikes the water, and it parts, too. So the way that Elijah's ministry ends, and you got to remember, there are people watching from a distance. It's kind of this stuff happening. So two go across, water parts. One comes back, Elisha. Elijah's not with him. Elijah's cloak. Waters cross, they, you know, and he passes over. Now, verse 15. So all this has happened in the life of Elisha. You know, he's wearing the mantle. He's got the cloak. He's now the prophet. He's got the Holy Spirit. This is now his role, his job, big thing. So when the prophets who were from Jericho, again, good guys, saw him. They said the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. So they recognizes it. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, Elijah. Lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. So understand from a very practical standpoint, it's probably only... You know, Elisha that's really in the know. These guys have seen this happen from a distance. So they're like, hey, maybe he didn't go to heaven. Maybe he's like stranded on a mountain or he's now in a valley. You know, we need to go look for him. There's 50 of us. We're strong. Uh, Let us go out. Let us find him. Um, Make sure, you know, let us verify. And Elisha's like, guys, this is stupid. Like, like he's gone to heaven. Like, what are we doing? You know, he's very clear. Like, don't send anyone. But they argued with him. Tell, you know, Elisha's a bit ashamed, and he said, okay, send them. Therefore they sent 50 men, and they searched for three days and did not find him. When they came back to him, for he stayed in Jericho, this being Elisha, he said to them, did I not say to you, don't go? Like He's like, I told you so. You spent three days. You didn't find him. I told you you weren't. You pressured me into this. So, so in regards to Elisha's life, few things the mantles on him he's now the prophet double portion holy spirit he knows the spirits upon him because the evidence was immediate cross through the jordan river their miracle takes place they are immediately skeptical a little bit like let's go look and see if we can find elijah 
He's like, that's ridiculous, but okay, go. They come back. He's nowhere to be found. And he's like, I told you so. So that's some context. Verse 19. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of the city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. So this again is in Jericho. So they have a water problem. The water is bitter. Great place to live, but the water stinks. So verse 20, Elisha said, bring me a new bowl. Not an old one, a new one. Put some salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From it, there shall be no more death nor barrenness. Now now notice, Elisha's performing a miracle, but is he taking any credit for it? No, he's like, thus says the Lord. This is what the Lord's doing. You have this issue. He's a provider. He's a, a good God. You know, he doesn't want there to be death or to be barrenness. So the Lord is healing the water. All glory to God. So he does this miracle. So we're told, the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, when he spoke. Verse 23. Then he went up from there to Bethel. So now he's going into the northern kingdom. This is a location of one of the high places. This is the center of idolatry. And as he was going up from the road, some youths, some youths, youths, came from the city and mocked him and said to him, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Now, this word youths, and again, when, when critics are throwing it around, it gets worse if it's the way it's translated, I believe, in the Old King James. I don't know how it is in the NIV, the nearly inspired version, <laughs> but in the Old King James, uh, I think it's actually translated little children. Like it gives the impression that these are like five or six year olds, you know? Yeah. And, and in this, you know, it's just, it's translated as youths. Um, if you, if you go into the Hebrew and again, I'm not Hebrew, I don't read Hebrew, don't speak Hebrew, but again, studying this passage before, if you go into the original language and, and you, and you do kind of a word comparison, okay, how is this phrase youths? It's actually two words. How is this used in other places um, within the Old Testament? And, and you'll, you'll find um, that it's like it can speak of 40-year-old men. And, and it, it doesn't necessarily always speak of children, but can be servants. Um, so the, you know, in our mind, when we think of the, these are a bunch of teenagers, um, and that's probably not an accurate way of, of understanding the passage. Definitely not like a bunch of elementary school kids you know, that are, that are, are ribbon on trying to make fun of Elisha, the bald prophet, which again, I kind of actually find interesting um, that he was, that he was bald. Again, I, you know, an insult is only, is only golden if it's rooted in a measure of truth. You know, like you can make, make fun of me for, you know, you know, for being fat. The, the only reason that that works is because I'm, I'm a bit fat, you know, like, um, I don't care about tall jokes. Right, right, right. <laughs> so there's always a measure of, of truth. So I think it's kind of interesting and funny. It's a total side note that Elisha was the bald prophet. Um, yes. Mainly because of the contrast uh, to Elijah. You know, you, know, you know, we're given details that he was a pretty wild, very hairy-looking dude. Um, John the Baptist came, you know, like Elijah. And, and John with the you know, the camel skin outfit and the leather belt. I mean, wild, wild hair, wild eyes, you know, a man of the wilderness eating locusts and honey, you know, so you have, you have the really hairy prophet getting 
uh, replaced by you know the balding prophet. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's like, you know, it's like, you know, taking over the pastorate for a really good-looking guy. You know, full head of hair, and and you're you know, short, pudgy, uh, balding, uh, and you don't have the look at all. You know, it's just like like there's a I think a funny contrast to this, but they're like. You know, go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Uh, let me finish the story, and then we'll, we'll work backwards. Uh, so uh, Elisha turned around, and he looked at them. And he pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. Now, we don't know if, if that's all of them. But still, that's that's a lot of youths. There's forty at least, and at a minimum, there's forty-two. We don't know if, if all of them get mauled, we, and we don't actually know if they die. The, the word "mauled," I mean, it implies that I mean, again, you're not going to survive a bear attack. But you know, I mean, this is kind of a crazy situation. There's a lot of them. That's the the idea. There's a lot of these youths who are antagonizing Elisha, and and he he doesn't send or sick the bears on them. He just pronounces a curse on them. And as a result of the curse, it's God that sends the bears. I don't know if that makes this better or worse, uh, but it's definitely God who's the one, like, mama bears go. And so they go. They mauled 42 of the use. Then Elijah went from there to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. Now, what's happening here? So first, we understand that the word youths uh, doesn't mean kids. And doesn't necessarily always mean um, teenagers. Uh, we know, again, little child, if you get into the, the original language, uh, the word child can be servant. Um, there, are, there are some commentators, again, because we were introduced earlier in the chapter uh, to a group of 50 uh, priests, prophets from Bethel. So these are false prophets. We've already been introduced to in the story. Uh, it's very likely that, that this is the same group of characters, that, that we have a group of servants, a group of priests, a group of people. Just because they're from Bethel alone, they are part of this rebellious clan in Israel. They're in a very center of idolatry. And, and what are they doing? They are mocking um, the prophet of God, who has just been given the authority of Elijah, and, and, and what do they say? They say, go up, you bald head. So, so yes, they're, they're making fun of him in that sense. And, you, you know, your typical, like, um, Sunday school story will spin this, like, this is why you don't make fun of adults, kids, you know? <laughs> you might get bears. eaten by bears. You know, God takes these things seriously. Your Sunday school teacher is anointed. Don't make fun of him. You know, hogwash. I mean, you should make fun of your Sunday school teacher, but... <laughs> not the point of the story, not the point of the story at all. Instead, um, anytime you look at a judgment, so what do we know about God in, in, in regards to judgments? Righteousness and just. Righteousness and justice. God never, like God's judgment um, never supersedes a, a fairness threshold. Like judgment is always measured and equated and handed out in proportion uh, to whatever's being judged. It's the whole nature of a judgment. You know, why did God go through like the extreme effort of of killing you know all of humanity? 
in Genesis 6 with a flood other than one man and his family. It's because the chapter opens, Genesis 6, that things had gotten so bad that God was even grieved in his heart that he had made man to begin with. Like, again, cataclysmic judgment in proportion to the fact that all of humanity was wicked but one family. Proportionality. Um, again, you, you, know, you look at the judgments of, uh, of Pharaoh, of Egypt, proportionality. Again, you know, the death of the firstborn in Egypt, which is the most extreme of the plagues, happens at the end, right? After a whole long series of, of other lesser judgments, you know, are trying to get the attention of what's, what's happening. You know, the sons of Korah, the, the ground opens up and swallows them whole. Um, but there was a lot of warning. There was a lot of things happening. Like this, it was proportional. Um, again, Jesus died a brutal death, but it was proportioned to the sin of humanity. Um, judgment, our judgment, is always proportional. And so we take a, take a look at this story, and you look at it, and if it's like this is a group of, 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 of kids making fun of a prophet, and they get eaten by, a, by two bears, that doesn't seem like it's proportional. Which tells you that that's not what happened. Like it has to be, like the explanation has to be in line with the severity of the judgment itself because that, that's the nature of God. And it's consistent. It's something we see consistent throughout all of Scripture. Sodom and Gomorrah gets wiped from, from the planet. Why? Well, again, uh, God goes to find anyone that's righteous. If there's ten righteous, he'll spare the city. There's not. And the only one he saves is Lot and his daughters who are not like the most upstanding people. No, you that know, works out poorly. That for works everyone. out real poorly as well, um, and so it was extreme wickedness. Again, again, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, even within like pop cultural uh, uh, lexicon, are known as uh, kind of like Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, Vegas on steroids. You know, like even in pop culture, there's an understanding of the phraseology and the severity of what was happening. So we look at this story, and, and yeah, okay, they get mauled. Forty-two get mauled by bears. So we now have to ask, why? What was the severity of like, what was happening? And, and I think the severity of what was happening was what they were really saying. Go up, you bald man, you bald head. Go up. Interesting phrase, right? Because what's just happened? That's what I was going to ask. Did they say go up specifically like mocking Elijah? Like, oh, you go too, you go too. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, when you, when you, again, when you place this story into the larger context, it's the continuation of, of the challenging of Elisha's God-given spirit-ordained authority. Yeah. And it's being done by, by people that have rejected the God of Israel, that are worshiping Baal, um, that are in complete sin and wickedness. These are not good people. Even if they are youths, you know, they're still... A part of a very fallen culture. These are not good people. In fact, if you do some research, it's kind of weird that there's that many of them all at once. Like, could it be that that there's a preservation of, of Elisha's life happening here? That you had this many of these servants coming out, following after Elisha? Could it be that they had ill intent? Could it be that, that they, they were malicious in what they were about to do? I mean, he's outnumbered. This is not. This is not a good situation. I mean, I can't see any good reason why forty-two or more 
people would be following me anywhere. Yeah. Like for any reason. Truth, if you're in the mall and you notice that there's like 42 people following you. Things have gone poorly. Yeah. Even if they're like five-year-old kids. That's oh, yeah. poorly. Like that, like that might even be worse. more... More traumatic. It's like the Spy Kids robots. Like right. The whole the <laughs> yeah. little army. Running. So this phrase, go up. Like, you can understand in its context, like, what they're saying. And, and you nailed it, Derek. You know, they're saying, you know, they're, they're playing, uh, you know, where is Elijah? You know, you go up too. You know, you go away as well. Like, mm. they, like they, they rejected Elijah. They're rejecting Elisha. And then they're making fun of him. They're taunting the God of Israel. And when we see dramatic things, like, like what, what was the intent of the message? The intent of the message was the same as the intent of, like, they couldn't find Elijah, validated the word of Elisha, his testimony. Why was Elisha able to part the Jordan River? It wasn't just a magic trick. It was to validate that he now had the mantle, um, you know, of, of, of Elijah. You know, he's in Jericho. And they're like, hey, there's a practical need. We would have gone to Elijah. Now you're taking his place. So uh, our drinking water is terrible. Can you fix it? And he's like, yeah, the Lord will fix it. Uh, bring me a new bowl and some salt, and then we'll take care of it. And, and what happens? Not only was the water purified, it's purified to this day, as we're told. And it hmm. still is. So you have, you have these, these supernatural occurrences that are taking place in, in, in Judah, um, and, and where... You have the, the real prophets of God. You have the, the people that are, 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 have stayed true to the orthodoxy um, that are worshiping God the way that God mandated he be worshiped. Um, positive miracles, positive signs to set up and validate now the call and the ministry of Elisha. Now Elisha goes into Bethel and they're making fun of Elijah. They're making fun of the story. Maybe they have ill intent. They are questioning, challenging his authority, his anointing, um, and God's hand over their lives, and His and God's will for them. I mean, right. mocking and, all of that, and ultimately they're mocking God. Oh yeah. And so, and so again, Elisha pronounces a curse, and we don't have what the curse was. You know, it's interesting that you know curses in, in this particular context. This is not kind of a new occurrence. You know, if you think back to uh, Balaam, you know, gets hired by what was it, Balak. Yeah, to pronounce a, a curse over the children of Israel. Um, and he's like, I can't do that. He's like, I'll pay you a lot of money. He's like, I can't do that. And every time he goes to pronounce a curse, he pronounces a blessing. Um, the idea of the ability to curse within the, like the prophetic ministry is not an abnormal thing within Scripture. All Elisha does is pronounce a curse. And more likely, this was a warning. You know, this was like, hey... You know, this is not going to work out for you. You know, and if they originally started with like 50 of them, which is the context of the passage, then eight of them listened. And we're like, oh, no, hmm. this is not going to this is not going to be good. And they're out. And then from the woods comes these two mama bears. And they maul 42 of them. They protect Elisha. But more importantly, they they validate Elisha's words and the power behind his word and the anointing that God had given him. And yeah, it's a terrible thing. But, but even then, okay, they got, they got mauled by bears and they died. Um, that's not the worst judgment that these people received. Because the moment they died, they would stand in a greater judgment. 
You know, and that's one of the things we always got to look at when it comes to, to, to dying. Dying is not like the worst thing that can happen to you at all, actually. Um, there's a much greater judgment than the physical death, and that is the, the, the eternal judgment, the eternal death. Um, and so I think, I think when, you, when you read through this story, you know, why, why is it here? Well, it's, it's sending a message. It's, it's substantiating the beginning of Elisha's ministry, which would last for 70 years. I mean, a long, significant period of time, an important period of time um, in Israel's history. And so, you know, God will not be mocked. And I do think anytime people mock God, by mocking God's people, God does take that seriously. And, and God does defend his people. Um, and, and, and there are stories of, you know, yeah, you have two, two bears mauling 42 here, but, you know... You, you read novels of missionaries and witch doctors that come out and are pronouncing curses and, you know, on David Livingston and, and, and God like supernaturally intercedes. It happens. And, and what, what's the purpose? Well, it's to get rid of an obstacle, but it's also to validate his messenger that he has power and he has authority and that God is on his side. You know, and in the end, I mean, that's the great story of, of the, the, the overarching arc, isn't it? You know, that the people of God will be mocked and ridiculed and criticized. And then Jesus will come back and, and kill all of them. <laughs> you know, I mean, the battle of Armageddon, it's not the mauling of 42. It's the slaughtering of all of the wicked that mocked the people of God, attacked the people of God, criticized the people of God, and therefore their God. Yeah, it's not really the battle of Armageddon. It's more of the judgment of Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not much of a battle. It's the slaughter of Armageddon. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I, you know, a, a, a kind of a trippy, trippy story for sure. Um, you know, I think it's kind of interesting that God used bears. Um, you yeah, know, every time sense. I read that, I just pictured it in the desert. So I was like, they don't have sand bears. Sand like, where bears. are they? Sand well, bears. I was really more trying to like picture it because you see in like some of the Jesus movies or whatever, uh, or the Gospel of Matthew, it's like they're in the desert. It's oh, see, looks see, like you modern gotta go day back. Iran. Or, see that, and, and that's such a misnomer. You got to go yeah. back, man, to oh. like the like the descriptions of of early Israel. Yeah. Um, and I mean the forests of Eden. Lebanon. Like yeah. there were there yeah. were huge forestations. Um, Israel's very plentiful. The only reason that Palestine isn't or, you know, the West Bank or the Gaza Strip is because the Palestinians don't know how to till the land. The Jordan River Valley is one of the most fertile places on the planet. You go up to the Galilee, incredible uh, fertile soil. Um, You had you had forests and groves and fruit and flowers. I mean, again, you, you look at how much wood you know, David used, mm-hmm. you know, to build some of his palaces or Solomon used in his construction endeavors. Um, incredible forests that then, again, you got to re- realize that this part of the world moving forward, you know, ends up being the, 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 the center of Assyrian conquests, the center of Babylonian conquests, the center of Persian conquests, yeah. the center of Grecian conquests, the center of... Roman conquests. Roman conquests later on the center of Muslim conquests, and and, and any time war war ravages the land, um, so you know you in your mind like bears coming out of the forest. Yeah, yeah. There's not forests there right now, but yeah. there were, and there could be still. 
um, which is which is interesting in and of itself. And then also you got to realize that you know Israel pumps so much water out of the Jordan River um, that you know it doesn't overflow its banks like it used to. Um, you know when the the when the snows from up north in the mountains would fill the Sea of Galilee, and I mean the Jordan would overflow its banks, and and, and you know anything of how rivers and soil and land and all that work. I mean, it was a very beautiful, beautiful place. Still is. You go there today. Jordan River Valley's incredible. So, um, you guys have any thoughts about the story at all? Nick, you've been quiet. Derek? I mean, you answered everything that I had. I mean, I don't have much to say. I mean, it all got answered for me. Well, yeah, my initial thoughts were like, well, man, that's what God saw fit. And so, like, <laughs> he just did it. Like, I mean, yeah. I just, I kind of take that kind of stuff too. I'm like, huh, it's very interesting. Don't curse God. Don't curse what he's working at. And like, be all right. Yeah. And, and again, you know, Creighton, you kind of set this up with the, the skeptic. You know, again, I hope I, I hope I kind of explained how I don't think how your, your basic cherry-picked three verses to make a point, how that actually plays itself out, not only within the context of the passage, but like the, the larger idea of um, the proportionality of judgment. Th- this situation would not be an outlier. Like, there are no outliers. Like it is, God is just, and thus his judgment has to be in proportion to fairness and what is just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the only reason that, that skeptics and, um, I would actually use the word, I, the kind of person I'm thinking of is more of an anti-theist than a skeptic. People who are trying to poke holes in Christianity have thrown, will throw this at Christians. Um, and the only reason it works is because they've never heard the story before and they hear two bears and young children, and <laughs> yeah. they're like, what? Why would God do that? That doesn't sound like the God that I follow. And it's like, no, it, no, it absolutely is the God you follow. You just don't know it is. So I appreciate you putting that out there. So now I can be like, you know, go look at this, because this is why. Yeah, yeah and Doodly me, doot do. And to me, it's like, like, if you really understand God, it's like, well, I'm just glad it was 42. Yeah. It could have <laughs> yeah, been the whole city. could have been the whole city. Right. I mean. You know, God is not to be mocked. I'm sure he had more bears. I'm sure that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had, if there's two mama bears, you know there's a bunch of cubs. Oh, yeah. Somewhere. You know. Anyway. Well, mm. you guys got anything else? We, we ready to roll? Yeah. We're good. We're good. We're ready to tap out. Well, listen, hope you've enjoyed the Outlaw Radio Show. While the show is live streamed every Wednesday night, the audio... Um, of what you just watched is released on our podcast the following morning. If you've yet to subscribe to the podcast, maybe you're a watcher, be a listener. Our podcast is hosted on Apple, Google, Spotify. For quick links, you can visit outlawradio.org. I would encourage you to leave some feedback, a comment uh, on uh, on our platform, on the podcast. Just let's, let us know that you're listening, and then you can always share uh, the episodes on your social media network. Um, if you are already a podcast listener, so you're listening to this, I do invite you to join us uh, for the next live show Wednesday at 8 p.m. You can watch via our YouTube channel, outlawradio.live, or by visiting facebook.com slash the radio outlaw. Nick and Derek, brothers, thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. It was fun. Creighton, as always, brother, thank you for the topic. Always a pleasure. Yes, sir. Thank you for the topic. Thank you for handling the tech. You've done good tonight. We had no big snafus. Yes. Woo. It was all good. <laughs> anyway, 
My name is Zach Adams. I hope you join us this time next week for another episode of the Outlaw Radio Show. Good, 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 good night, folks.